From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, and I am sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you are with us on this Friday, the Friday before the Friday before Christmas. Next week is the week of Christmas, which we are all very excited about. And oftentimes, as we get close to Christmas, things slow down in Washington, D.C. That doesn't necessarily seem to be the case this year. We've got a lot to talk about Today, the Department of Health and Human Services has taken action to revoke waivers that allow faith-based adoption agencies and foster care providers to operate according to their beliefs. One member of Congress is trying to do something about it, and we will talk to Congressman Ralph Norman about that. In addition, in the state of Wisconsin, a mother told a local school board that her five-year-old was able to access pornography on a school-provided device. How common is that? Is there anything that can be done? We'll talk about that today in the program. Also, it is the season for Year in Review, and we're going to talk to David Clausen, the director of our Center for Biblical Worldview, about the biggest stories from 2021 for those who care about faith, family, and freedom. And before we get to the headlines, I want to remind you that you can find this and every program at TonyPerkins.com anytime that is convenient for you. Now with the headlines, with the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives heading into their end-of-year recess, plans to debate President Biden's Build Government Bigger bill have been punted into January. When asked yesterday by a reporter if this was a setback, White House Principal Deputy Secretary, uh, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre responded by giving the big picture. He turned around a failing COVID response and a sputtering economy, and he's taking strong action to address the financial challenges that Americans care about the most. His leadership and bills and, and those bills now resulted in unprecedented economic recovery. That is the envy of the world, historic job growth, the fastest drop in unemployment in history, strengthened supply chains, and boosted competitiveness against China. We delivered because we stayed focused on what the American people care about and did the work. That's exactly what's happening here. Is that what is happening here? With me now to talk about it is Representative Bob Good, who's a member of the Budget Committee and Education and Labor Committee. He represents the 5th Congressional District of Virginia. Congressman Good, good to see you today. Great to be with you, Joseph. Thank you for having me. So you heard that statement from the White House. Is that your assessment of what's happening right now? Uh, you know, there's not one policy the Democrats can point to that would validate the election from a year ago. There's not one thing that's going well, one issue that's working. All they can do is hold on to COVID forever, January 6th forever, because there's not one semblance of success that they can point to with this administration. And that includes the Build Back Bankrupt bill that would add $5 trillion of new additional spending, grow the deficit by some $3 trillion on top of the $29 trillion of national debt that we already have. You refer to it as Build Back Bankrupt. Biden refers to it as Build Back Better. But what everyone agrees on right now is that it's not going to be passed anytime soon. What was your reaction to the news that they are going to punt this into January? At least that's what they're saying. Well, I'm thankful that, you know, that uh, there's at least one senator who says $8 trillion of new spending in the name of 
the COVID virus is sufficient in the past two years versus $10 trillion, which is what would be uh, with this bill being cut down, even from the $5 trillion to the $3 trillion the Democrats want to pass. So we're, I'm glad to see it delayed. I hope that it will ultimately be defeated. I hope the Democrats will read the tea leaves from what happened here in Virginia and all across the country back in early November and stop the policies that are harming the country in every issue. Well, until just a couple of days ago, President Biden was expressing his confidence that it was going to get passed this year. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham has now said he thinks the bill is dead for good. Where do you land on that? I certainly hope that's the case. When it's on the Senate side, certainly Senator Graham would have a better inside look on what's happening behind the scenes on the Senate. But it is a terrible bill that will, you know, it's it's growing the social welfare state. It's massive Green New Deal. It is it's paying more people not to work at a time when we have 11 million jobs. It's free child care, free daycare. They tried to have amnesty for tens of millions of illegals. Apparently, the parliamentarian is not going to let them do that. It's free college. Uh, terrible, more socialist welfare policies, growing the dependent state at a time when we need to be uh, encouraging Americans to go to work. We have 11 million open jobs in this country. Inflation's at record levels. Uh, they've got a border crisis that this bill doesn't address in any way, and it's going to be terrible for the country. So hopefully it will be ultimately defeated or never passed in the Senate. Now, you point out there the breadth of this bill. It does so many things, and many of them are controversial in their own right. But the Democrats have been in control of Washington, D.C. for the last year. What do you think is the primary reason they haven't been able to get President Biden's top legislative priority through Congress, despite the Democrats being in control? Bottom line is you have one senator who likes to be perceived as a moderate. He's not really a moderate. He votes some 98 percent of the time with Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren and Chuck Schumer. But he does show some restraint, at least in his rhetoric. And thankfully, he happens to be from West Virginia, where President Trump won by some 40 points or so. So he needs to be perceived as a moderate. So thankfully, he is expressing the right things, concerns about this bill that's been scored at five trillion dollars, not the two trillion dollars they would have us believe. Well, there's another development on Build Back Better. The timing of this is interesting because the Senate parliamentarian ruled and rejected the push to include immigration reform into this bill. Is that relevant? Is the timing of this coincidence? Or do you think that has anything to do with why Biden has decided to punt on this? Well, it is relevant because uh, the reconciliation is only supposed to be able to be used for fiscal budgetary items and to give amnesty citizenship to 10 million to 20 million illegal aliens is certainly not a budgetary item. So thankfully, the parliamentarian pulled that out, which which angers the left, angers the most radical. So this is Bernie and AOC's budget. And of course, what they want is future Democrat voters to the tune of 10 to 20 trillion or 10 to 20 million additional voters, which will, will further incentivize the facilitation of the illegal border crossings that are happening by the tens of thousands every day in this country. As a procedural or perhaps a strategic matter, how common is it to have a bill like this, a spending bill, and then try to pack in a bunch of policy reforms as well? Why did they do it that way? Well, this is their one last crack at the apple that, it, that they before they lose control. They do have the votes to ram it through if they cave on the Senate side, if Manchin and Cinema do go along with it. It's got 150 new programs. What they try to do is they get cute by, uh, you know, diminishing or decreasing the number of years that programs are funded to say, hey, it's only two or three trillion dollars instead of the five to six trillion dollars that it really is. And the fear is that they may double down on policies and say, hey, we're going to lose control a year from now, irrespective of whether or not we pass this bill. Let's do as much irreparable harm as we can, get as many programs in place as we can. And perhaps the Republicans won't have the courage 
to roll back or undo those policies once we take control. Do you think there's any chance uh, as things like immigration reform get pulled out of this bill that it will dampen enthusiasm for the bill from those on the more progressive side of the Democratic caucus? Absolutely. It will dampen enthusiasm. However, some spending is always better than no spending to them. Some programs are always better than no programs. Some social welfare expansion is better than none. Some Green New Deal is better than none. There's many things in here they want. Again, free daycare, free preschool, free community college. So I suspect and predict they will ultimately get a deal. They ultimately will cave and they will pass it. Another issue I want to talk about with you, there was a lot of conversation about an alleged offer from the Department of Justice of $450,000 to settle a lawsuit by the ACLU against the United States on behalf of illegal immigrants who were alleged to be separated from their parents during the Trump administration. The Department of Justice seems to be walking back from that offer. What's happening here? Thankfully, it seems that they are walking back only because of the, the, the transparency of sunlight being shined upon it. They wanted to do this. Of course, perhaps no one told the president. I don't know if he was lying to us when he said it wasn't true or if he just didn't want us to know that it was true. But think about it. If you, it's a phony issue to begin with. If you or I broke the law tomorrow, we were arrested for it. We would be separated from our family, separated from our children. And after we were separated, we would not be rewarded with a $450,000 payout. Imagine paying each illegal immigrant family member, 450000 which could mean millions per illegal immigrant family, and rewarding lawlessness, rewarding breaking the law. What kind of incentive would that send to those who are violating our laws now? On its face, it is ridiculous, but I think there's a, there's a part of this I want to explore with you for a moment, because the ACLU, of course, as an organization, is a strong ally of President Biden's, of the Democrat political machine generally, they brought this lawsuit against the U.S. government. Was there any sense that they believed they were basically negotiating against themselves, that they were essentially suing themselves and they could dictate the terms of the settlement because of the relationship between the Biden administration and the ACLU? This is a this is a tactic from the Obama administration. Matter of fact, we have a bill that would prevent this if we could get it passed by this majority in Congress. But what the Biden administration, the Biden Obama administration, Obama Biden administration, I should say, of the previous you know, uh, 12, 13 years ago, is they would get these outside groups like the ACLU to sue the federal government to get what they wanted, and then the federal government would settle with the, with these organizations and therefore create government policy as a result of that settlement. Mm-hmm. It is getting past the legislative process. It's unconstitutional, and it's getting these extensions of the, the left to uh, force the government to do what they want to do by suing and then getting a friendly government to settle to do what they want. Is this similar to the dynamic we saw with the National School Board Association, where the Biden administration essentially asked them to send a letter to the Biden administration asking them to take action so they could do what they wanted to do? Same mindset. It wasn't a financial, direct financial uh, uh, settlement uh, that was being proposed, of course. But yes, absolutely. They're getting the administration. The, The administration goes to an outside group, in this case, National Teachers Union, and says, hey, Let's allege these parents are terrorists. Let's allege that these parents uh, are a threat and need to be investigated by the FBI and the DOJ. And please send that letter to the Merrick Garland so he'll do the work that we want him to do anyway. 
I just think it's helpful to kind of connect the dots between these situations so people can understand how common it is for the, the, those in the White House to actually be cooperating with the people who, who are alleged to be kind of independent outsiders and really, uh, they're, they're a team working together on this. But Congressman Good, there's one other uh, issue I want to talk about because you sent a letter to the Secretary of Veterans Affairs encouraging him to grant access uh, to the Arlington National Cemetery uh, in regards to a Reese Across America Day. Tell us what's happening there. Yeah, we learned that there was an anti-Christian group uh, who's in the name of freedom from religion in the military that wanted to have the administration prevent the annual placing of Christmas wreaths on military grave sites, military uh, headstones all across the country. Thousands and thousands of volunteers have been doing that for decades, honoring these veterans who made the ultimate sacrifice to keep us free with a Christmas wreath placed on their grave site by volunteers throughout the country at, at military cemeteries and just military grave sites around the country. And we heard about this anti-Christian group that was asking the administration not to allow this anymore. So to your point, we sent a letter, myself and Doug Lamborn and 45 other Republicans joined us asking the secretary to continue to allow this to happen. Of course, the traditional day will be tomorrow, December 18, and hopefully that will go forward as, as expected. Do you believe that it will go forward, that these wreaths will be able to be laid at these tombstones? I think that it will be for tomorrow. We haven't gotten a response back from the secretary yet. We just learned of it last this past week, and we sent it earlier this week, the letter. So we haven't gotten a response yet, but I haven't received an indication that they're not going to prevent it tomorrow. But we thought it was important to lay the groundwork now to let people know what this administration might be considering doing so that we're able to continue this practice or allow volunteers to continue it in the future. Congressman Bob Good, thank you so much for your vigilance. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Joseph. Great to be with you. Merry Christmas. Coming up, HHS Secretary Javier Becerra made a decision that has threatened faith-based adoption agencies and foster care organizations. We'll talk about it when we come back here on Washington Watch. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. 
To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm sitting here with Tony today. Glad that you have joined us today. Yesterday, more than 100 members of the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives sent a letter to HHS Secretary Javier Becerra to get to the bottom of a recent decision he made that could negatively affect faith-based groups. Now, last month, Secretary Becerra withdrew non-discrimination waivers for several states and revoked the authority of his Office for Civil Rights to review religious freedom complaints. Joining me now to talk about the concerns that these decisions raise is U.S. Representative Ralph Norman, who led this letter together with fellow South Carolinian Senator Tim Scott. Representative Norman serves on the Committee on Oversight and Reform, as well as the Committee on Homeland Security, and he represents the 5th Congressional District of South Carolina. Congressman Norman, welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you, Joseph. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Now, lay the groundwork a bit. Tell us about the withdrawal of these non-discrimination waivers. What does that mean? Well, first of all, Joseph, this affects over 400,000 children yearly that uh, go into the foster care adoption program. Um, and what Senator Scott and I did was put out a letter based on what uh, the secretary of HHS deemed necessary, which is take out a, a section, a, a agency within the HHS that, re, you know, reviews uh, discrimination. Uh, we had three states that were exempt. In other words, a family that uh, we have one, uh, a good many in South Carolina that want to take in families that are with uh, Christians and to file discrimination cases would go, they were exempt from that. And um, and all of a sudden, Becerra just is taking that out, uh, and it's, it's something that should not be done. It's assault on our uh, freedom of religion. And um, I think that if, if this continues, that we want to find out why he did it, why he uh, found it was necessary to do. And you were talking about children here. We're talking about the lives of children going into families uh, that are Christ- with Christian-based homes. Uh, and if they wanted to uh, not accept a family, have a family that was not Christian, they had the right to do so. That's not, uh, this is, flies in the face of that. 
And we just thought it was wrong, and we wanted to get some explanation for it. Were these non-discrimination laws essentially uh, permission, uh, be it that, if you want to phrase it that way, for faith-based organizations to operate according to their faith? Is that what the waiver was, a waiver from non-discrimination law, recognizing you're a religious organization and you have a right to operate that way? Correct. If, if you wanted to you know, find a home for a child in a Christian home and not uh, a Muslim home and not uh, some other religion that they find uh, that conflicts with what the home was based for, which in South Carolina we have a lot of Christian-based homes. And yes, this uh, will take a... They'll have to file a... Whoever objects to that, it just goes into a general complaint. We need the exemption in place, and it's worked so well. It's not that easy to find families that uh, will take children in now. And as I mentioned, it's over 400,000 and growing, particularly with the immigration issues that are coming before the country. It is difficult to see who benefits by kicking people out of a space where there's a tremendous need, where there's a constant need uh, for homes for children who don't have them. And the idea that the federal government would try to remove anyone from that space is concerning. But there's another part of this decision that I want to uh, talk with you about, because it appears that he has shut down the part of HHS that would investigate religious freedom complaints. Have I understood that correctly? Correct. That's it. Uh, so that's my understanding of it. He shut it down, and uh, it won't be an agency. And that's why we've had the, you know, the 69 uh, Senate and the 30-some House members that signed on to it. It's an assault on our religious freedoms, Joseph, and that's pure and simple. And to take this agency out and to take the, the part that you could not, you know, you could have a family uh, that's Christian or Christians yeah. into the system. And uh, the, the minute fi claims get filed, if they reject that, it'll put the Christian homes out of business. By revoking the authority of his office for civil rights to review religious freedom complaints, is he essentially saying that they don't matter, that we don't care if somebody alleges uh, religiously based discrimination? Uh, we don't care anymore? Well, he, he, not only does he not care, he's basically saying that you cannot, if you're a Christian-based organization, you cannot practice that. You have to take any and all in. Just like if an atheist couple, if they had had an issue with uh, having an adoption uh, of a foster child with atheists, you can't uh, discriminate now. And uh, it's just wrong on its merit, and it's not how this country was founded. Mm -hmm. And for him to take this action unilaterally, um, is is just not right. Tr President Trump is the one that granted the exemptions. This was in effect under Obama, but it was President Trump who put the exemptions in there. And South Carolina was one of three states. Yeah. And this is just another illustration of the way in which elections matter, because these rules made within agencies have tremendous impact on how people live and operate and how faith-based organizations are allowed to operate. Now, your letter, you've asked specific 20 specific questions. You're hoping for responses by January 15th. What are those specific questions that you've asked? Why did you take it out? Uh, what purpose is it, uh, is it, does it serve? Uh, why now when the need is so great for children? Um, what's, what's the future going to hold for it? Uh, is, if this is not going to be even reviewed or if it's not going to, if it's just, they just took, stripped it out. And that's the issues that we have. Uh, and just uh, th those are the basic issues that Senator Scott and I put toward the secretary. Uh, I don't expect an answer, to be honest with you, Joseph. This administration has been tone deaf to anything. Um, you know, without any discussion, 
with the, the, the agencies that are providing the services. At least they ought to do that, but they're not doing it. Uh, and it's just a, our letter just wants to ju for them to justify what they did because it is an assault on our religious freedoms. In about 30 seconds, you say you don't expect an answer. Is there anything else that uh, Congress could do, or are we at the mercy of the Secretary of HHS? The only thing we can do is amp up the uh, public pressure when families uh, write letters to uh, Secretary Becerra. Uh, maybe it'll work. I mean, we've written you know, letters to Mayor Garland, on, uh, the Attorney General, on different issues, had no response. They just don't respond. Uh, and other than amp up the, uh, the media, which, you know, where do you go for that? You've got your programs and, and others, uh, but it's, it's a limited amount. But we'll do what we can. We're not going to quit, and uh, we'll keep the letters coming regardless whether they answer this or not. Congressman Ralph Norman, we appreciate your vigilance. The issue does matter. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Doug. Coming up after the break, a mother tells a school board that her five-year-old accessed pornography on their equipment. We'll talk about it when we come back. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm sitting in for Tony Perkins today. It's my pleasure to be doing so. I want to remind you that you can find the show at TonyPerkins.com. Now, we talked many times here on Washington Watch about the ways that parents' eyes are being opened to what their children are being taught in school. But it's not just what is being given to children intentionally that is the problem in every case. In some cases, it's what children are being given access to accidentally. Now, one Wisconsin mom told this story to her local school board earlier this week. 
On one occasion this fall, while at home, my five-year-old child on the school-issued iPad typed in searches like EEFFGG and accessed multiple pages on a pornography website, videos on YouTube of people smoking, a Russian password hacking website, and a YouTube-like website with absurd, inappropriate videos from all over the world. Are schools doing enough to prioritize cyber safety? Joining me now to talk about this is Dr. Eleanor Guyatton, Vice President and Director of Public Policy at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Dr. Guyatton, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Joseph. Great to be here. We're glad to have you, and thank you for the work that you do. You've heard this story from this mother in Wisconsin. Is this a surprise to you? No. It is happening all over the country, and Nicosi gets calls like this every day. The schools are supposed to have filters in place, but many of the schools themselves have not most effectively implemented those filters. And it's very hard for parents to figure this out. So step one, if you suspect that your child has been has gained access to either pornographic material or age-inappropriate material, is to talk to the school. You have to connect with the IT administrator and the school uh, leadership in order to establish what have they put on these devices? Are they complying with, with federal law? You have to look at the, at the contract that you probably signed as a parent when you took the, the device. So again, the burden is too much on parents to figure all this out. I know... You're not a lawyer, at least I think you're not a lawyer, but do you know what the law is on this and what school's responsibility is? So, yes, under SIPA, the Children's Internet Protection Act, schools should be filtering any implement that's used, any device that's used uh, in the classroom. Of course, though, even the IT administrator might not have sufficient training or might have inherited equipment or there's old equipment. There are too many gaps in the system putting full responsibility on human beings in the school administration and then parents at home. Uh, and it's too complicated to, to put many of the filter devices that are embedded in your cell phone are very difficult to implement, to activate. And again, the burden's on the family. And, and Nicosi feels strongly that digital companies who are billion-dollar companies should be taking much more of the responsibility to protect children and to default to safety. Make these devices default to the safe position, safety on. As the uh, parent of three teenagers and the manager of lots of electronic devices in our homes, I agree with you that it is complicated. And the you have routers and you have different service providers and you have so many different devices. Uh, it, it's it's a maze that we have to try to navigate. Is this, in your judgment, mostly a family parental problem, or is it mostly a policy? issue that could be fixed if uh, big tech got on board, if the right regulations were created. Exactly. It's a combination of both, both and. Corporate America has to take more responsibility. Google, specifically, let's talk about exactly the two players, because the vast majority of devices that children are using uh, to access what is essential during the pandemic, their education online, are Google Chromebooks, and the iPads made by Apple. So we're talking about two corporate entities that control the vast majority of these devices. 
Now, I'm going to tell you a, a good story and a bad story about just corporate initiative. Regardless, put aside federal regulation. Uh, we had really good news. Google Chromebooks default to safety as of September 1st after years of requests and petitions and discussions with Nicosi and, and, and the, uh, and Google employer and executives. They're defaulting in significant ways to safety, uh, but it's not foolproof, right? And meanwhile, Apple has done far less. In August, Apple announced some very important changes. For example, they would automatically scan to identify child sexual abuse material. We used to call it child pornography, but we want to emphasize how, how this abuse is harmful for a lifetime to the victims. So child sexual abuse material would be, would be tracked, scanned. It could be identified. Each image has a fingerprint, just like a finger or a snowflake. They announced that they would track, that they would blur, automatically blur nude images that were uploaded to iMessenger. So no one could even uh, yeah. transmit intimate images. Or if a child was under 12, the parents would be notified that that child had tried to send or, or receive a nude image. These were all Dr. fantastic. Um, Dr. Steps. Guyton? Yeah. We have about 40 seconds left. And very okay. quickly, where can people go to get these resources, to get help? Confused parents want to know what they can do. Where should they go to get that information? Just to finish the story, Google announced these, uh, Apple announced these changes and then retracted the changes and have not implemented them once the privacy ap apologists got in the picture and ranted and raved. So families got to get challenge. more active. You know, families have to demand action. Right. We have, I think we sent you already, we, are, we have a campaign to contact Apple and ask Apple to implement these. Dr. Geyser. Thank you so much for your time. We are sadly out of time, but we're going to get back to you on this one. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Stay with us. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. 
Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It is beginning to look and feel a lot like Christmas, friends. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. So glad that you have chosen to end your week with us. This next segment, because we are at the end of the year, we are going to begin everyone's favorite end of the year tradition, which is we look back on the year that was and talk about some of the highlights and the lowlights. Today, we're going to focus mostly on highlights. And as we do, I want to remind you of a special opportunity that you have between now and December 31st. If you appreciate this program, if you appreciate the work of Family Research Council, it's made possible exclusively and entirely by friends like you. And between now and December 31st, your gift will be doubled thanks to a $1.5 million challenge match from friends and supporters of FRC. So we encourage you, if you can, stand with us. We need you to, to make this work go forward in 2022 and well beyond. To join that effort, have your gift doubled, call 1-800-225-4008 or visit TonyPerkins.com. Again, that number is 800-225-4008. Or visit TonyPerkins.com. Now, to join the conversation and to lead the conversation about some of the highlights from 2021 and things that we can all be grateful for to see God do in our country and in and through this organization is David Clausen. He is the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview. David, good to see you. Hey, great to see you, Joseph. Well, this is going to be fun, I think, because uh, tis the season. We get to look backwards a little bit. You actually have written something on this, your top 10 list. I don't think we're going to get through all of it today, so we might have to come back to this. But I do want to get started, and I'm going to let you pick the first one uh, just because you wrote this, and I want to find out what the highlight of 2021 has been for you. You can go first. Yeah, so you're right, Joseph. Uh, it seems like the year just started, and here we are already at the conclusion. And so I think it is a time to reflect back and just think about God's provision, his kindness uh, towards those who follow him, towards his church, and specifically for Family Research Council. We've had a, an opportunity to be a part of a lot of uh, initiatives and a lot of new 
uh, ministries and things that are going on. And so I did write a piece, uh, just kind of, it was kind of difficult. I, I got by and asked different colleagues here at FRC kind of the top 10 uh, things that we saw God do, and specifically events and initiatives that FRC had a part in. And so, yeah, that article, uh, just a two, 2021 year in review, it's at frc.org slash worldview. Uh, but when I thought about it, Joseph, and I even thought about conversations you and I have had on this weekly worldview conversation, and I think the number one story, looking back at the year, is that we now have a case at the United States Supreme Court uh, that could overturn Roe v. Wade. And, of course, that's the Dobbs decision. Uh, we've covered that extensively on this show. Uh, but there's a case now pending before the U.S. Supreme Court that could once and for all potentially overturn Roe v. Wade. I'm inclined to agree with you that has to be uh, the biggest story for our country, yeah. the potential. And, of course, right now we're optimistic and we're hopeful and we would feel differently about this if the Supreme Court surprised us and somehow decided that Roe versus Wade is uh, legal and constitutional and rational and all of those things that we think it is not. Um, but the prospect that the end of Roe versus Wade could be in the near future really is miraculous. And I think we need to stop and acknowledge that the work that was done over literally generations to get, get us to this moment. And I think it's helpful context as well. When we go back to 1973, when the Supreme Court passed this thing, 75% of the American public supported the right to an abortion. And I think that's important to remember because there are many issues that we feel like we're losing right now. And we say, oh, well, public opinion isn't with us. And it's helpful to remember that over time, public opinion changes uh, dramatically. How did public opinion feel about same-sex marriage 25 years ago? How did they feel about abortion 50 years ago? Some of these questions, it's helpful to have this long-term perspective because uh, we can just be stuck in the present moment and think that's a fixed reality when it's not, is it? No, no, it's not, Joseph. And uh, I think it really is important to know the in, in, in the blog, you know, we don't have time to really unpack it right now, but I do give a little bit of history on the Roe v. Wade 1973 uh, decision, how that set up the whole trimester framework system, and that was replaced by Planned Parenthood Casey in 1992 that set up the undue burden uh, standard that's really kind of an unworkable situation. But let's, let's just step back. And since 1973, over 62 million babies have lost their lives uh, because of abortion on demand in this country. And the Supreme Court has a once-in-a-generation opportunity to see this overturned. And, and you're right, Joseph, there's been generations of courageous pro-life work that's been done on this issue. And that's why I'm so proud of what FRC did this year. I was reflecting just on our engagement. I think it's fair to say FRC, uh, the Lord gave us a wonderful opportunity kind of to lead in this. Uh, obviously, FRC, uh, we, we did file an amicus brief. A couple of the lawyers on staff wrote that, just urging the Supreme Court to overturn Roe and Casey. Uh, we were able to really lead in the prayer movement. Uh, FRC joined forces with Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, the USCCB, uh, putting on different webinars. Uh, I had a role in that. We put on a webinar in October that 4,000 pastors uh, tuned in and were equipped to be able to speak to their congregations about this. And then in November, we did another event that over 18,000 people uh, joined FRC 
just to pray for an hour. All we did, there was no speeches or talks, just to pray about the issue. And then the week before, uh, Joseph, uh, several of us, including uh, me, we went down to Mississippi where this case originated from. Uh, Our president, Tony Perkins, led just a beautiful prayer service. And uh, right before I came on the show, I asked what the number was. And about 100,000 people tuned in just to pray. And so it's been a joy here at FRC for us to to really try to provide some leadership. And we just need to continue to pray. We won't get a decision likely till June. Uh, so every day we need to be praying that the Supreme Court makes the right decision and stands for the unborn. That's exactly right. And I want to make sure we do not underestimate the significance of the church yeah. in prayer like that, taking our and casting all our cares upon him, as Paul exhorts us to do, yeah. uh, because in, in many ways, we think we're doing one thing, and God is doing something entirely different. And while, of course, uh, God wants abortion to end, and he wants us to ask him to do that, the impact of a church humbly surrendering, repenting, taking that to God has impacts far beyond the political conversation and the legal conversation about abortion. It's super, super important. Yeah. And and I think that it's exciting to see what God, what else God is doing as the church really has their hearts changed. And I think you pointed out, you know, 4,000 pastors gathering on this, 100,000 people gathering online to pray yeah. and the power of that Um speaks to things happening uh, this year that haven't been happening in the past. And I think the dependence that we are increasingly aware that we need is starting to bear some fruit. Uh, We've always needed it. We haven't always been uh, willing to admit how much we needed it. Now, David, let's go to our our next top 10 story. Uh, In your blog, you talk about something that's near and dear to both of us, the creation of the Center for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council. Why does that make your top, top 10 list? Yeah, it makes the top 10 list uh, because, you know, P- FRC has been around since 1983. Uh, we've served pastors. We've served churches around the country trying to help people think more biblically. Uh, but we, it was put on uh, Tony's uh, uh, heart and others in the organization that we want to be even more intentional uh, about reaching pastors, reaching churches, reaching Christian parents around the country and helping them get a biblical worldview. And I think really what crystallized our decision to kind of launch this new initiative was a study that George Barna, who has since joined us as a senior research fellow, he did a study for us and it showed that only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Uh, interesting, his studies showed that about 51% of Americans think they have a biblical worldview, only 6% do. And in that same study, he showed that those who attend evangelical churches, 81% think they have a biblical worldview, uh, 21% actually do when you measure for their beliefs and their behaviors. And so it just became very clear to us uh, that we need to do more. Uh, you know, Joseph, you and I every week have a conversation about something going around the country, and it, it's clear whether it's abortion, whether it's uh, the sexual revolution, a whole host of issues, lawlessness. Uh, one of the things that uh, we just really kind of have come to an understanding is that the root of all these issues is a lack of a biblical worldview, a lack of 
understanding these things through the lens of Scripture. And so that's why in May we launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. Uh, you and I are both a part of that initiative, and uh, it's been cool just to see. Uh, we've been putting out articles and videos and trying to just come alongside folks to think more faithfully uh, about all the issues going on in our, around in our culture. And I'm excited about next year because we have a lot of neat resources uh, and projects that we're going to release uh, that, again, hopefully uh, really fill a need that we think we've seen uh, in our country. That's exactly right. And FRC, of course, has been in the public policy and politics game for a long time. But it is important for Christians to engage in this space to make sure that our hierarchy is in the, that we love the right things in the right order. And there is a temptation, right? Because our politics always need to be informed by our theology. Yeah. And there's a temptation for our theology to be informed by our politics. And there's a lot of conversation about evangelicals and Christians and whether they're doing things the right way or the wrong way. And some critiques are fair. Some may not be, but we can't handle how people are talking about it, but we can handle how we think about it. And as Christians, we need to be humble. Uh, we need to always seek truth more than loyalty to some entity or some party or some person. Yeah. And, that happens, in my judgment, by making sure that our theology is informing our politics. And to me, that's really the essence of a biblical worldview, is that we make sure that everything else in our lives, the way we think about everything, is ordered, is, is based on our commitment to what God has told us is true in Scripture. And if that doesn't happen, we get messed up, don't we? No, we do. And that's why it was interesting, Joseph. Uh, we, you know, we launched this in May, but we were having meetings, uh, you know, four or five months before that. One of the things that we spent so much time thinking about was our mission statement, our vision statement. And one of the things that we really wanted to be just explicit about was that we are coming at this not from a partisan, uh, you know, position or whatnot. Uh, we're coming at it through the lens of scripture. So we, we believe, and again, we don't shy from this. We believe that the Bible is authoritative. It's inerrant. It's infallible. Uh, the Bible gives us that sure guide uh, to, to stable our lives. And so again, we want to be looking at all of these issues, whether it's the life issue, religious liberty, family, sexuality, whatever the issue is, what does God's word say? And because for some things, there's a clear, thus saith the Lord. For other things, it requires moral reasoning and applying biblical principles to issues. But again, we are unapologetically uh, Christian in what we do at FRC, but especially uh, with the Center of Biblical Worldview. And you and I are eager in 2022 to continue that effort of helping people ask the question first, what does God think? Yeah. And uh, that's what we're going to continue doing and thankful for the chance to officially do that uh, through the Center for Biblical Worldview. Now, the next story, David, that you have on your list, you mentioned off-year elections. Why were they such a big deal in 2021? Yeah, it's interesting. So everyone you know, is still talking about the 2020 presidential election, but there were a couple of elections in 2021. Uh, the most noticeable one was the Virginia gubernatorial election. You had Glenn Youngkin, someone who's never run for political office, uh, running against Harry McAuliffe, who was the former governor of Virginia, who's a Democrat. This was significant because a year ago, uh, Joe Biden won the state of Virginia by 10 points. He won it in a landslide. Uh, Virginia has been, you know, a Republican hasn't won Virginia, uh, a statewide race, whether it's governor or Senate, in over a decade. And yet Glenn Youngkin won the governor's race. The uh, Republican running for attorney general and lieutenant governor, they won. Uh, Republicans took out the House of Delegates. 
And so why is that significant? Well, it's significant uh, because of the issues that voters said that they were concerned about. Uh, they were concerned about critical race theory. They were concerned about abortion. They were concerned about education. They were concerned uh, that certain school boards, even one in Loudoun County, appeared to be covering up uh, sexual assault by a transgender student, uh, which was the result of bad policies that, been put, that had been put in place. Uh, so that race was significant. There was others, FRC Action, which is our legislative affiliate, endorsed for the first time a school board candidate in Washington State. He won his race. Uh, there was other races, Joseph, we don't have time to talk about, uh, but where it shows that the political mood in this country is really souring against some of these really radical, progressive ideologies. And so, again, I, I'm a conservative. I'm, I'm excited to see that. Again, I want to look at everything through the lens of Scripture. But I think it's just very noticeable that only a year after Joe Biden was elected president, it really seems the political winds are shifting. And I would argue that's because of some of these progressive policies that a lot of Americans are starting to realize, hey, this isn't good uh, for my family. This isn't good for my community. And I want to connect this to the worldview conversation. I think that's evidence of the fact that the American public is not excited about a worldview that gives us critical race theory, that gives us uh, trans, gives us um, you know drag queen story hour. That gives it. They're not excited about those things. But are we giving them a worldview they can be excited about? Are we giving them an alternative? Are we just doing more than politics and? vision of the future that people can be excited about. And that's why I think what we do is so important. And that's why I think rooting it in worldview is so important. And that's why we're thankful for the work you do, David Clausen, every day in leading the Center for Biblical Worldview. And uh, we look forward to continuing this conversation as we finish the list, because clearly we didn't get through it all today, uh, but we will do so. But for now, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Joseph. And friends, we thank you for being with us as well. And I hope this has helped you. You are heading into the weekend here, the weekend before Christmas, as we all get our hearts ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus and everything that means for us. It means that we can have confidence, regardless of what we are dealing with today, regardless of what the news says, God is always in control, which is why as we move forward, we can fear God and nothing else. We'll see you next time here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.